Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. Emily Leung is the founder of Cannabis Lifestyle Brand Ojai, a collection of cannabis goods that are curated with the same beautiful, careful intention that you observe her operate from. To say she's smart is an understatement. Emily is a brilliant marketing mind in every sense of the word, having cut her teeth at brands like Vega and the Vancouver Canucks, all while teaching digital marketing at BrainStation. She still does. Building the Ojai brand was an answer to her own desire for well-designed tools to administer the benefits of cannabis for her own self-care. In this conversation, we explore Emily's experience with being a female entrepreneur, living with anxiety, growing up in an immigrant family, and tending to one's own figurative garden. Emily is a powerhouse with a whole lot of soul, and she champions a future that is female. Emily, welcome to The Craft. Thank you, May. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I was thinking about how we met, and mm-hmm. we met through our mutual friend, Dixon Lee, mm-hmm. and we would see each other at social events, and we'd always chit-chat in passing, um, but never a deep conversation until we went for coffee one day, mm-hmm. and we discovered we were soul sisters. Absolutely. A lot in common. Absolutely. It was a special day. It was. <laughs> yeah, that we was talked a, for hours. We did, <laughs> and that was a bit of a a catalyst and a, and a I think to take a phrase from your book recently, like a corner that we turned. Yeah. It was almost like, and I think we've identified this too, like it was just waiting for timing for both our energies to sync up. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've been admiring each yes. other from afar, from afar through the like, community. And that woman is cool. Yeah. I need to get yeah. to know her more. Yeah. Yeah. And here we are. Here we are. Now having a conversation. On your podcast. Recorded. Yes. <laughs> well, tell me about childhood and little you. I feel like there's this hustle and drive to you that I witnessed from day one, and I'd love to understand where that comes from. Yeah. I mean, childhood is such a big conversation. Um, so thank you for giving me context on that part because <laughs> it could mean a lot of different things. Um, but in terms of hustle and work ethic, that's definitely ingrained in me through generation, you know, going backwards, my parents, my grandparents, and I'm sure even that my great grandparents who, you know, I don't know too much about. Um, but my maternal, sorry, my paternal grandmother uh, lived with us and essentially raised my brother and I. Um, and there was a huge sense of matriarch feminist power that I didn't realize was in my life every single day until recently when we are now discovering and having modern conversations about female entrepreneurship and feminism and all of that. And through therapy and through other work, I've realized that, wow, that has been ingrained in me in my daily life since day one. So my grandmother was a young widow with six kids in Hong Kong and immigrated here um, through a sponsorship with my father when my brother was born. So in the mid late 80s. And prior to her immigrating here, she and my grandfather before he passed had like a tag team business. And these are all things that I'm just recently knowing putting pieces together. So my grandfather worked as security and custodial uh, services at the tall bank towers in Hong Kong. Mm. And my grandmother saw an opportunity and started catering. So my grandfather was the in, he was the plug to the buildings and she started cooking and doing like massive luncheons, like all the fried rice and chow mein and all of that just to make extra money for a family of six kids. And you can imagine what that could be like, you know, in in Hong Kong in a city like that. Mm -hmm. Very, very small apartment. My dad recently told me that all eight of them lived in essentially a two-bedroom apartment that was maybe no more than 700 square feet. Oh, wow. Bunk beds and Mm -hmm. all that. So, you know, the hustle and that desire is there. And I think that's translated a lot into immigrant mentality. My parents separately immigrated to Canada um, when they were teens and they met in Winnipeg. Um, That's kind of where my roots are, but (laughs) I'm, I'm born and raised here in Vancouver. And that, again, like got translated to my father when he came here to Canada on his own and didn't have a word of English and climbed up, climbed up a corporate ladder and, 
ended up working for one of the largest telecom companies in Canada and retired as a director. Mm. Um, so I think for my brother and I seeing that and seeing my mother as well, you know, always having food on the table and, and being reminded in a graceful way what it took for family to bring this together and to see the rest of my aunts and uncles and cousins all come here and see their start in Im- immigrant life in Canada, I think gave me a lot of inspiration and just, that's just the way of life. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, my, my childhood, when I think about what I had, it was a regiment and a routine of piano lessons and Kumon math tutoring, Chinese school, swimming lessons. And, you know, back then, especially during my teen years and even in my elementary years, I thought to myself, like, that's so uncool. Like, I wish I didn't have to do this. And to be totally candid and frank, I was thinking, I wish I was more like the white kids in my school. Mm -hmm. I wanted to play soccer and have play dates after school and all of that, which is Mm -hmm. all fun too. But I didn't realize that impact that it would have on me now as an adult diving into entrepreneurship. So it's really in my blood and it's really followed me through. And there's just that resiliency, even with like through COVID and all that. I'm just like, I think about my grandparents often, you know, how my grandma tripped on ice and she broke her wrist or she broke her arm. That woman was still on the bus the next day trying to go to Chinatown Mm -hmm. to get his groceries, just little things like that. Yeah, no, you know, when you talk to, when I talk to friends who had, you know, immigrant parents, um, there, it's a, it's a similar story of, resiliency and hustle and and survival Mm -hmm. because you are in a foreign world Mm -hmm. and you're trying to make your way and you're trying to keep you know create your identity within it without really losing trying not to lose where you come from absolutely and so along with that resiliency I think the counterpart is adaptability too Mm. because you just nailed it like what is that Canadian western life without losing what our roots and culture is about, that Chinese culture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, taking it back to my childhood, that was a lot of confusion as well, because not just having all these more academic extracurricular activities, but along the lines of how I fit in, even my physical appearance, culturally, um, just a lot of different nuances. And saying this out loud actually is making me realize that's also isolated me, not in a, a non-social way, but allowed me and my natural tendency to be a bit of a lone wolf, which is now, you know, a few years into entrepreneurship, I realized is also important because it's a lonely path, even if you have business partners, which I don't, but, you know, you're up late working Mm -hmm. early morning, late at night by yourself, like problems after problems on your own. And I don't even think twice about that. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it's just natural. normal. Yeah. To like mm-hmm. figure it out in my head and not feel like I fit in or trying to adapt to fit in. Entrepreneurship is very much like that because you, you're kind of socially isolated as well. Right. And you're right. so focused. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And you're really close to your dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you <laughs> like him? Um, I'm certainly very much like him. Um, so I've been living with my parents for a year and a half now. Um, more than that, almost two years. I've lost track of time thanks to COVID. (laughs) So I decided to move into their tenant suite uh, to focus on my business, uh, you know, just to have a little bit of financial freedom and support that way. I do pay rent though. I just want that on record. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and going into it, like my, my relationship with my father were very much more similar than the way I am with my mom. So that was a natural closeness being an adult living with them again. But more recently because of COVID and the three of us living in such close quarters, I've really redefined my relationship with my mom. So I'm actually very 50-50 with them. This is very mm. new to me. But on the outside, I'm 100% like my father. Right. Social, like I, he enjoys the spotlight a little bit more than <laughs> me. He doesn't seek it, but we're both comfortable being on stage and being in the spotlight. He's certainly, you know, the, the, the energy of the family. Like he'll show up and be like, hey guys, like what's everyone <laughs> doing? Um and what about your mom? Yeah. You said you're now noticing it's more 50-50. So mm-hmm. what about what about your mom? Have you picked up? So my mother is opposite of my dad. So that's why her and I, I've always felt like we didn't click or I, we couldn't really understand each other. And again, I think that's timing. Um, my mom has a very deep love, and a very, very mama bear matriarchal feeling. But her love language is a little bit different. Um, 
the flavor and the taste of it isn't your your typical, let's call it Western motherly love, nor is it super harsh dragon tiger lady Asian <laughs> mom either. But there is a t- taste a bit of that. And being in my mid-30s now, you know, I don't have children, but I have a lot of younger friends, my nieces, my even just my friends, even you. I feel very protective and there's yes. this deep empathy and kindness Mm -hmm. that I have for people and I'm very inspired by my mom my mom is very very selfless that way um actually like so because my grandma lived with us she did a lot of the matriarchal maternal things for us like cooking and you know picking up my brother and I from school after school because my parents were busy working and my mom didn't have to fulfill those type of traditional duties and um so that kind of drew a little bit of a a line between us. But what I realize now that her love showed up differently because our resources within our household were different. Mm. And now I'm really, really appreciating that. Um, And she's also very organized, very type A, very OCD. Um, Like, thank goodness she's my mother (laughs) because our house has been so germ-free with COVID. (laughs) So you're good at the Liang household. You're like, everything's safe here. We're good. Mom, if you're listening, I'm sorry I ever made fun of you for cleaning the airplane before it was cool. (laughs) I was that kid like hiding my face. She's ahead of her time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, you know what? I just wanted to say that I, uh, you were saying that, um, you know, your mom has this mama bear um, trait to her and you've definitely picked that up, which all your friends are very appreciative of. Thank you. Looking out for us. Thank you. Um, so I want to take it back to, um, well, actually take it forward to after university. You found yourself in the digital marketing world and you've worked at um, companies like the, the Vancouver Canucks, Burn Kit, Vega, um, Quest Cannabis, and now you teach digital marketing at BrainStation as well. Mm-hmm. So what is it about marketing and brand that you love so much? You know, when... I was younger and thinking about what I wanted to do. Teacher, lawyer, or photography was were the options that were in front of me that I always dreamt about, or like marine biologist or something like that. And all those things have to do with curiosity. Um, and I have a couple of uncles that work in advertising and one uncle in photography. So, and also because my my personality, I, I had a lot of people tell me that you'd yeah, be great in PR. And this is you know back in '90s, so. PR was like the marketing. There was no digital yes. then. Very um, glamorous. Yeah, exactly. Also from the outside looking in. Sex in the City, yes. Samantha. <laughs> that, that was the one that I related to the most in terms of career. Then when I finished school, university, I went to SFU and I got an undergrad in communications. Um, I got my first job at a print shop. It was a private print shop. And I love to share this because I am one of very few, few millennials that I know that bought newspaper and radio ads like <laughs> back in the day. And that was around the time when things transitioned. Twitter became a thing. Twitter literally launched in 2000, I think, eight or nine between, you know, 07, 09. Same with Instagram, same with Facebook and all of that before they all became one thing or against each other. And I worked at a digital agency called Blast Radius. And that was my dream, dream job. And this is two years out of school. I couldn't believe I had this. This was like the big girl New York equivalent type of thing. Because we were the agency on record for Nike Jordan. And I was on that account. So for about mm-hmm. three years, that was that was my life. Um, Jordan shoes and basketball players <laughs> and photo shoots and all this other cool stuff. I was part of a team that was creating custom content before custom content was what we see naturally and do every single day. Mm. So this is 12 years ago. I, my career and me personally, I've grown up with the internet and every day I'm learning something new. So when I'm teaching, I've been teaching at Brain Station, it'll be four years this year. Every cohort, every class that I teach is different from the last cohort because TikTok is now the biggest yeah. thing. How do we maximize that? How do, you, how do we build a brand and monetize that? So I'm learning. And that also goes back to my curiosity. Like I love growing. I love understanding technology. And it's just been a really amazing intersection of all of the things that really interest me in terms of industry and technology and, and, and social media. And so it's also been my bread and butter because I started from day one. I have this very transferable career skill that has allowed me to go from an agency to the NHL professional sports at the Canucks to 
all of a sudden going on a client side and consumer product like Vega, you know, a protein product and all of that. And, you know, it's just a great skill to have. And yeah, I'm still learning every single day and, and love it, it. And it, you know, jumped you off to, you know, your your brand, Oh Hi, which yeah. you started in 2018. Mm-hmm. Yes, the entrepreneur switch went on for you. And mm-hmm. um, so what was that force behind starting it? Yeah, so entrepreneurship, as we, we were talking about, has always been in my blood. So just back up for a little bit. I've always been on the sidelines helping friends with their hustle and entrepreneurship. And something about that always fired me up, seeing ideas come to life. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, mate, like we should do this, this, and this. I mean, we do this in real <laughs> Naturally, life right Yeah, now. we do. And um, my my first step into entrepreneurship is I owned a photo booth. I still do. A photo booth business, uh, rental, first with my cousins. And then two of my best friends and I um, also have this business. And obviously it's put on hold right now. So even something small like that has always interested me. And we had the capabilities of going out and making money beyond our nine to five. With cannabis specifically, I've always had a very high level of anxiety. And as a symptom of that would be social anxiety, depression, and insomnia. And it's very, very functional because I'm already naturally so high energy that that's my homeostasis most of the time. My dad and I joke. Sometimes he'll see me at home and he's like, what's your stress level at? Are we at 11 or are we at a 12? Because I'm already naturally at an eight most days. <laughs> and so that, you know, I, I was going through my agency job, that first job at Blast Radius. I got laid off. It was my dream job. I was, I think, 28, 29 or something like that. I was with my longtime partner already in my 20s. I, I, I'd fallen in love and I was with someone for in a serious relationship already at that point. And my partner at the time, he said, you know what, babe, you're going to be at home. Why don't you just smoke this joint by yourself? And I had started to um, smoke weed more casually, more often. And again, my curious brain was like, why does this feel this way? Why is it so illegal? Why do I like it? But magazines tell me I shouldn't. And it looks like this. And there was this moment almost 10 years ago where all those ideas and passions again intersected and pun intended an idea sparked in me and I was with my cousin at the time and I bookmarked this and her her and I had like a blog idea about stoner chicks like sharing their stories or something like that didn't happen go through my career and then I just kept seeing cannabis in front of me like not the product itself but on Time Magazine, Chatelaine, McLean's random things and it just kept screaming at me and I and and I I started tapping into my Chinese culture and looking at at, as herbal medicine I started researching the history of cannabis and it's actually ancestral plant to China that's where it was discovered Mm -hmm. so FYI fun fact in Chinese and Cantonese cannabis is Dai Ma Dai as in the character for big and Ma as in anesthesia like numbing and that's what they used to use for numbing, like, I don't know, three, four hundred decade or whatever century. Someone mm-hmm. can fact check me. So I'm doing all this. And then I'm starting to read about how, you know, there's medical licenses and Canada was getting ready to federally legalize. And I thought this is my chance because what happened with digital was I didn't jump on that train fast enough on another side where I could have monetized myself like an early, early day influencer or something. And I'm glad I didn't do that. I don't think that's me naturally, Mm -hmm. but I had been more on the servicing side of digital. So I thought, you know what, this is finally my time to not just help other people with the hustle of a trend. Why don't I just implant myself in there? And around that time in 2016, 2017, I had some major changes in my life. The partner that I was with, we were no longer together. And that was a very emotional, traumatic event. We were engaged and the wedding was called off seven weeks before the wedding date. Mm. Um, I laugh because we can laugh at it now. Yeah. And I was just in this moment of really looking at my life and all, all these opportunities. And I had nothing holding me down. I was on a mat leave contract that I was covering for someone at Vega. And I, in 2017, I started working at a, a startup and um, I just decided this was my calling. I just quit everything and started freelancing and said, and, and tapped into my digital skill set to service that for clients. I would pick up anybody I could. And then at night and on the side, I would just read everything that I could about cannabis, really looking in the California uh, industry market because 
that's very deep rooted and there's a lot of legacy there and that translates over to especially BC and in Canada. And, you know, through a series of serendipitous events, I was consulting in 2018 for a California cannabis company while I was here in Vancouver. And that also gave me a lot of insights. And this is pre-legalization in, in Canada. And after working for this company, I thought, you know what? I can't do it anymore. I've got to do it for myself. Yeah. And so I left that I too. Had to take the leap and of I faith. just took the leap of faith. First person I called was my dad. I said, dad, and you know, I've been sending him a lot of academic literature, a lot of more formal literature, not just stoner blogs about <laughs> cannabis to get them to buy in. Because my parents' mm -hmm. support is very important to me because they, mm -hmm. they help anchor me. So I showed it to my dad and he's like, you know what? I, I, I think this could be a good idea. I see it. And that was all I needed. And I said, bye-bye to that. Contract as much as I could. And then through friendship and personal relationships, um, I got introduced to Quest Cannabis. My friends were were founders of a very beautiful, high-end premium craft cannabis uh, cultivation, a licensed producer based out of Creston. And they asked if I wanted to come on and consult. And so that was my first official legal Canadian cannabis gig while building Ohi. And again, that was contract. So I was able to consult and right. do research and R&D. Totally, yeah. While you, you taking can, my time. Yeah, you probably learned a lot about the industry through that contract and yeah. that informs what you were doing. Exactly. Yeah. And so that also led me into two other major contracts. So I also helped because um, the industry was so new. I helped a, a large national retailer go to market. They were based out of Ontario. Well, they're based out of Vancouver, but they launched in Ontario. So I had a licensed producer. I had a retailer and I, I'm also fascinated by science. So I also helped another uh, company, an extraction company that produces concentrates and other uh, derivatives products based out of um, Abbotsford here. And so I had those three clients plus Ohio. So I had every basically level of the industry as it first started mm. and have been there since. And so now I am officially 100% Ohio. Yeah. You're, you're fully baked. Ha ha. 90% of the time. Yes. <laughs> but not right now. Uh, not right now. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, I, I wanted to go back to what you were saying about um, anxiety and why you turned to cannabis. You obviously found it really therapeutic. Um, what are some other things that you've been doing to help alleviate some of that anxiety you feel? And where does that, do you think that comes from for you? I think my anxiety is generational. Um my family's going to hear this and <laughs> I'm going to turn even more of a black sheet at the family dinner table. I think it comes from a lot of different influences through family. Um, you know, it's, this is a lot of childhood psychology and therapy work with, with some of my inner work healers and my therapists and, and things like that. So I joke, but I'm half serious when I say I was born into anxiety. I don't remember life without it. I, I truly don't. So, you know, I, I realize this now as an adult during my teens and twenties, alcohol, partying, liquor was, and being around that type of scene was always a distraction and a way to mediate, to distract me from that anxiety. Mm -hmm. So that, I don't want to say it helped, but that's how I coped, not knowing that that wasn't actually doing me any favors. Then when it, cannabis came into my life, so that moment when I smoked by myself, that week I remember, cause I was laid off and I'm such a like go-getter type A. I applied for 20 plus jobs within that week. I didn't stop. I had about 11 interviews and cannabis let me take on this confidence and creativity. And I wrote all these cover letters and all that. And so that's been consistent in my life. Mm. But my family also has a connection to Buddhism. I can't say that we are, what well, my immediate nucleus family is not uh, super dedicated, devote, but that's what, that's the religion and spirituality that we would relate to. But I have uncles and aunts that are very, very close to the religion and an association um, made out of, uh, comprised of nuns, uh, Buddhist nuns that we're very close with. And that's been teaching me a lot of philosophical life lessons. And that's been in my life for many decades, mm -hmm. having um, the sisters part of our family essentially and support us like the whole family so that's taught me and that's led me to meditation yeah. um you've done a few vipassanas I've done one vipassana yeah and so that has 
my aunts and uncles have done several Vipassana. So Vipassana is a 10-day silent meditation retreat based on a Buddhist teaching, but anyone of any age and, and back, you have to be an adult, but um, you know, any ethnicity, any religion can come and, and participate in the retreat and their centers by donation all around the world. So in 2018, I was able to have this freedom to do the 10 day meditation retreat in merit. And that was life changing, life changing. Mm. I've never been on any SSRIs. I've never been on antidepressants. There's always been something in me. I have, I have nothing against them. It was just never felt like the right thing for me when it's been prescribed. I would just leave the prescription on the table and just thought, no, I, there's something deeper in me spiritually that I need to fix first. That's really helped. Yoga and exercise, huge in my life. Mm -hmm. um, my previous life with my ex-partner, he was in the fitness industry. I've done four half marathons, two sprint tries. I rode my bike from Portland, no, Seattle to Portland. That's 320 wow, kilometers. Wow, I did not know this. So there's all this like mechanism in my, my mindset that has allowed me to really unpack the anxiety now. Mm -hmm. So those are things that are really important. And nutrition is really big for me. I mean, I'll binge eat. I mean, again, stoners, so the munchies do come through, but <laughs> I am very aware of what I am putting in my body. Mm -hmm. And I would add, excuse me, I would add, because of COVID, I've also really thought about what do I need to add and remove in terms of relationships and friendships in my life as well. Mm. And that is actually a really huge factor into the anxiety. Mm. Yeah, actually, I know that you and I had a recent conversation and it's actually, this conversation has actually come up in the last few days with several different friends um, about understanding how to protect your energy because you have only so much of it to give. And so who are you giving it to? And one of my really dear friends yesterday, uh, last night we were talking and she said, you know, we each are our own garden. We have our own garden and it's okay to prune that garden sometimes. Sometimes you have to prune and get rid of things um, that are, are no longer supposed to be there um, or have overgrown over everything else. Um, or you can take a plant and repot it somewhere else, not meaning it doesn't have to leave your life. And we're talking about people here, yeah. <laughs> um, but it can be put in a different place in the garden and maybe not in the center anymore. Absolutely. And there are certain plants, people, relationships that can be autonomous in our relationship. Some some don't need as much care. They can be in the sun and they're there and they're enjoying the garden with you. Mm -hmm. We're going to follow through with that metaphor. Mm -hmm. There are certain people and plants in our garden that require more love and more tenderness. And, you know, that mama bear instinct in me tends to want to help nurture that. And because that's always been my MO, I think right now what I'm trying to do is recalibrate myself to put some lines on where I can extend that energy while trying to figure out my own personal right. life and entrepreneurship. Mm. I recently listened to David Asprey, the creator of Bulletproof Coffee and the Bulletproof Mindset and that the, um, the biohacking on Clubhouse. And he said something really interesting to me. And it was that it's not because he doesn't want to help. I mean, he's so successful. And he was saying he gets so many requests all the time through all his channels. It's not that he doesn't want to help. It's that he wants to help where it matters. Mm -hmm. And you and I had a recent conversation and I was expressing my confusion about, you know, how do I harness this energy and this love? And I think that's what it is. Because when you put yourself out there as an entrepreneur, you know, on social, I have a little bit of a personality on my Instagram just to show people what I'm up to behind the scenes because I think it's a really cool thing to experience and to witness and to share you as share, well. Yeah. And then the brand itself. So often people forget that there's a whole life behind this person beyond that one single DM. So when I'm managing multiple DM inboxes, my personal relationship messaging, especially in a time of COVID where a lot of communication is, is digital, I've felt so overwhelmed in the past six months of a constant inundation of, hey, Em, can I da-da-da-da? Hey, Em, can you help me da-da-da? And there hasn't been, to not anybody's fault except my own, to say, hey, I actually can't do this because I've also got 
a whole list of all these other things in the garden that I really need to tend to right now. Mm -hmm. But my struggle is I feel like a jerk if I say no. Mm. And I know this comes up a lot often with a lot of people, but it is an internal struggle for me. It pains. Like even talking about it out loud, my tummy is tight right now thinking about how I have to say no to somebody. Mm. And it's tough because mm -hmm. I'm now competing against yeah. myself, but I want to love and everyone give. and give so bad. Yeah. So I got to remind myself like what I'm doing, what I'm doing with Ohio, what I'm doing with teaching and just friendships at this moment, whatever it is, that's also love too. I, you know, I got to think about what I have, mm -hmm. you know, in my bandwidth. Totally. And also, you know, how do you keep some of that love for yourself or that, yeah. that self-love? And if we want to go back to the garden metaphor, it's, you know, um, you know, how do you keep some of those nutrients instead of always, you know, giving it away to the other totally. plants? And it's, it's my garden. It's your garden. So yes, there are plants there. There are people there, but this is, this is something I, I'm learning and this is constant in my head too. It, this is my garden that I need to tend to. This is my garden of life. Mm. So not to be all territorial about it, but that's that self-love there. Having someone in my life is also self-love because I should and can make that decision of that energy that I allow into my garden. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard thing for me to come face mm. with because again, that means I have to put a fence up around the garden. Yes. This is a great metaphor, by the way. <laughs> no, I thought it and was And in great my garden, you bet there's going to be cannabis plants <laughs> growing. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, and yeah, we, we all need to learn how to to cultivate our gardens well. So it sounds like you're starting to take care of yours, which is, which is good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fences, i.e. boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. Beware of, dog. Beware of dog. Beware of dog. I wanted to go back to Ojai and I know that you operate with a team of fem female freelancers as part of your team. And I know you've said before that that's by design um, and that Ojai isn't a gender specific brand. Um, and I know that you have a lot of male mentors and supporters in your life and they balance out the perspective. Um, but I know that you also want to give equal opportunity and pay to your female peers, um, especially in this industry. Um, tell me more about your thoughts around this. Yeah. So working corporate for almost 15 years, I've not ever had a female manager. That's not by choice. It's just the industries that I've been in and the way it's set up. And also because we're in a patriarchal system. And time after time, I always felt undercut. I felt thrown under the bus, didn't get the promotion, haven't gotten a bonus. I've never had a promotion ever in my career. Like I've had to switch jobs to get a raise or to mm -hmm. get a title change. And that's also one of the impetus, like why I decided to create my own brand. It's a brand now, but my goal is to create a company so that I can have the freedom to select and curate the type of team and the type of people and have this equal shared opportunity. So the way I see it is I've been blessed with the uh, gift or the resources to create this, but it is not mine to have. It is mine to share and it's a platform. So with that in mind, that has to ring true from myself to the products, to the way I write captions, the brands and the people I associate with, not even just professionally, but also on a personal note too, because I got to live and walk and breathe this, you know, every single mm -hmm. day for real. Mm -hmm. So when I thought, okay, well, I can do a lot of this to myself, but who would I want to reach out first? Immediately I thought, okay, female identifying, you know, individual folks only first, not to say that I wouldn't give men an opportunity, but women get first choice because we don't often get first choice. We're overlooked. And the other part of me, I don't think a lot of people may know or realize is I'm actually a very girly, like female divine tomboy because I grew up with all boys. My brother and my two cousins were at the house every day after school. You know, my relationship with my dad, my best friends, I have group chat with three of my best homies. My, they're all guys. So I have this very strong masculine energy. And I've recently, again, harnessed that energy and tried to create an example of you don't have to be a bitch. You don't have to be rude. You don't have to be aggressive just to be a strong female entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And I'm learning and I want to share that with people. And so I, I tap into my masculine community, my male community, mentors, business contacts and all of that to, to balance things out and even out. And I, I draw from that, you know, from 
and the big D energy and try to apply that to business, but in a very graceful way and from a spiritual aspect, look at the feminine divine and how I can balance, balance those both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's important. And I feel like this uh, conversation around masculine and feminine energies is, is something else that has been um, coming up with a lot of my friends. I know that I've been really interested in it, in it too, uh, lately. Um, and, uh, yeah, I agree with you. It's like it, with the masculine energy, it gives you that. If we're tar- talking about internal masculine and mm-hmm. feminine energies, the masculine gives you that that drive to move forward. Um, but then that feminine energy is that energy of empowerment and creativity and receptivity and radiance, and that's that's really beautiful too. Absolutely. And so, yeah, there is a need for for both. Yeah my my dad was a manager. It you know, a big chunk of his career. And he shared a lot of different lessons and leadership lessons with me. Very early on, he always told me EQ is more important than IQ Mm. because you can never teach someone's heart on how to love and lead. You got to learn that. You have to experience that. And that has always stuck with me. I love that. And I think that's the female divine energy, the feminine energy that, you know, and and also, you know, to clarify for everybody, like, Masculine energy and feminine energy is actually non-gender. It is just mm-hmm. a description of the spirits that, that tell us that, right? And it's like the yin and the yang, and they have to coincide. They, have, they In order to find balance, you know, they, they have to exist together. Mm-hmm. And I think these conversations are coming up more because, you know, gen, as a general statement, men are now starting to become more vulnerable and openly empathetic and tapping into that feminine energy that has always been there, but dormant. Mm -hmm. And I think with Me Too movement, feminine's power, BLM, all that, humans are starting to tap in, whether you're man or woman, to realize like, oh, wow, I've always been this way, but now I got to feel or I got to do more Mm -hmm. one or the Mm -hmm. other. And I think COVID is really pushing us to really tap into that as well, not realizing that this is the feminine or masculine divine that we're actually trying to talk to or bring to Mm -hmm. life, but it is pure survival. Right. You know? Yeah. If you don't have heart, how can you survive this global pandemic right now to reach out to others and reach out to yourself? Yeah, that compassion. Exactly. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that physical, mental strength, like that masculine energy, again, how do we get through, yeah. you know, the physical, external, physical environment? How do we survive? Exactly. Like, survive is like Primal masculine. instincts of, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's an interesting point about, um, you know, men or, yeah starting to really open up. I was talking to someone today in, in Toronto and um, and he was saying that, he, he was saying to me, I, I don't know what happened to me over the last couple of months, but things make me tear up all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for him at first it was really jarring and I don't think he'll mind me sharing this. He's such an, a warm and open individual about these things. Um, and, uh, yeah, and he just, um, yeah, he was just, saying that he felt more open in that way. And I thought, I thought it was really beautiful. Yeah. So I have such a cool perspective because I get to hang out with a lot of men. So I'm like this close confidant that they are able to talk to without judgment, sister problems, mother problems, girlfriend problems, that sort of thing. And I'll tell it to them straight up, but I can also think like a dude, you know, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. And seeing some of my closest male friends adapt and their language and how they've reached out to me even as a female friend has been so fulfilling and heartwarming. Like I'll get random messages now, KM, hey, you good? Mm-hmm. From guys that I never thought would even think about me, think to reach out emotionally that way on the regular. Um you know, in my group chat with some of my, my, my besties, my guy besties, there are these moments of pure vulnerability now mm. in, the, in the security of this group chat where mm. they've expressed like, oh man, I'm feeling this way today. Mm-hmm. And I was just so proud. Wow. 20 years of friendship. I've never heard this stuff before. Mm-hmm. And, and here I am because I'm so emotional and sensitive. I've been like, hey guys, you got to do this. You got to think about this way. You got to do this for your girlfriends. Like, don't forget your wife, this and that. But now it's like this appreciation for their own lives and their emotions and my emotions. It's just, yeah, it's mm-hmm. really, really beautiful to see. Must be so, in a way, not to say, not to din- diminish how hard this last year has been. Um, but 
it must feel liberating for so many people to know that they can be open about their struggles now. Absolutely. Because everyone is going through it. So you don't have to be othered for your your struggles and you can actually be open with it. And um, Nate Sabine, who is my second podcast guest, had uh, shared um, a recent stat that he heard, which was that um, suicides have gone down over the last year and calls to um, mental health call lines has gone up. Like the calls that they're receiving. I got Because people are are actually reaching out for help and deciding that, you know, it's okay for me to ask for help. There's no shame in doing it. And I I don't have to do something so drastic to end my pain. Yeah. It's there's something really ironic that happened to me. You know, I shared that I've always lived with this edge on my on my shoulder or my uh, like weight on me and my heart because, you know, my my natural tendency to have this higher level of anxiety and such. And I think around April time, I thought to myself, wow, the entire world has anxiety right now. The entire world is under stress. All of us have an increased shot of adrenaline and cortisol in our whole bodies. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I finally didn't feel alone. Mm, I was going to ask if it made you feel understood. Yeah, because I'm like, guys, this is what I've been trying to tell you when I say I have a mm. panic attack or an anxiety attack or I can't sleep. We are now experiencing what that taste of mental health could feel like when things are not going great or actually acknowledging it. Because most of the times things aren't going great. We just have mm. different ways of coping and, and distraction, right? And in some ways, my level of stress and my ability to cope with COVID actually was, I don't want to say positive because like you said, you know, there's a lot of consequences and a lot of sadness and heartbreak because of COVID. But for me personally, on an individual level, I felt normal for once, Mm -hmm. like my emotional capacity and my emotional level, because I thought, wow, I'm not the one, I'm not sitting here lying awake thinking I'm nuts or I'm going crazy or whatever. Like everyone is going through this right now. It doesn't matter Mm -hmm. who you are. Right, right. Um, yeah, I know. I was I was going to ask you what this last year was like for you mentally, spiritually, emotionally. I mean, you're such a, a, a deep person that I imagine that a lot went through your mind as a businesswoman and just as a human being. Was there anything else that came up for you during this time that was a light bulb moment? Yeah, slow down. I just, while I, I joke, you know, that, you know, in, in 2020, early on during world global lockdown. A lot of us were making sourdough, practicing push-up challenges. And this is no slight to anybody who was doing that. It's fun. But I decided to just pour my heart and soul into work and business. I was still teaching. I was still working for Quest. I I was working on Ojai, figuring out how to navigate that. And I had multiple burnouts at home in my parents' basement suite working 14, 16 hour days because there was no social aspect. There was no other um, distraction. I couldn't go out. I couldn't see friends or anything that would normally drag me away. And, you know, first month of quarantine, I had a massive, you know, those jumbo size post-it notes, 8 a.m. wake up, read book, meditate, journal. These are the books Mm. I'm going to read. These are the movies I'm going to watch. How many puzzles I'm going to do. Like I had a whole laundry list. And I thought to myself, finally, I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? Why do I always have to feel like I'm accomplishing something? Mm. This is finally time for me to slow down. And so finally in April, I actually, of 2020, I finally launched my Ojai online shop. It took me almost two years of building a business and building a brand to finally do it online. So I had wholesale before I even went direct, uh, just because of my bandwidth and resources, because I'm a solopreneur. And then in July of 2020, I resigned from my contract with Quest and decided to go 100% oh high. So for me, that light bulb was, I don't have to be doing it all, all the time to feel like my cup is full. Mm. I can slow down and not being able to go out and, and like, just to give you an idea, like I would party and I would go out with my friends, you know, in Vancouver in the nightlife scene, probably see you there, you know, (laughs) and then I'd be up till two, three in the morning. I wake up at 6.30, at spin class at 7, be at work by 8, 9, work, work, work till 6. So like I just finally slowed down. I couldn't go anywhere. I had to be stuck at home. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, we've talked about self-care being essential in life. And, you know, what's your relationship with it like now um, in this moment? Do you feel like you found a good balance with it? Yes. 
Yes. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is I've decided to go liquor sober as of September 1st. I just, something clicked in my head. I've always had a very, for myself, a tumultuous relationship with alcohol because it's a downer until you, know, you don't know when until the next morning. So the post booze blues were always so deep in me. And I realized it was such a vicious cycle. So I also drank, like if you and I go for a dinner, you know, it's a celebration, I'll have a glass of wine, but there's no more binge drinking in my life for the foreseeable future. And that has been huge for me because my sleep hygiene has been so bad my whole life that I'm putting sleep priority first, even though I'm a night owl and I'm up till like three in the morning. Yeah. Um, but it's has it top helped, of mind. Has it helped greatly with your sleep? Definitely. Mm. Definitely. Even though I still have trouble sleeping, I'm not trying to play as hard catch up with drunken sleeps or hangover sleeps or anything like that. Cause right. I wouldn't even heal myself from a hangover either. Cause I'm off mm. at spin class and I'm off to work and then I'm at brunch and then whatever else after perpetual motion. Exactly. Mm. And it was perpetual toxicity to my self care. So any self care that I would do was actually canceled out by the night before the night after or the week after. Mm -hmm. And so now without that in my life, I've, my routine and my regimen is the same, but the benefits that I'm feeling are much greater. It's more impactful. I feel it. So, you know, I'm still meditating. I'm still doing yoga and, and vitamins and I'm not perfect. So, you know, I try to do as much as I can. Um, and that's the other thing. I'm not as hard on myself right now, but I, for myself, the booze was what I really had to kick out. Mm. Yeah. You know what? Uh, we've chatted about this, but I've, I've done the same. Um, and for me, it was, it was health related. And um, yeah, so for me, I've, I've been, I wasn't a heavy drinker anyways, but, um, it's been almost like a year, Wow! which is, and you know, cocktails are delicious. And so it, sometimes I'll, I'll miss it, but generally I don't. And it's, um, just definitely a more clearer mind. Yeah. 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 Not to knock it, you know, having drinks or anyone who does, but this is just a personal experience. Absolutely. It, it impacts all of us differently, just like the way we take vitamins or drink coffee or smoke cannabis, whatever, right? Consume cannabis. For myself, alcohol was something that I had used as a crutch and a Band-Aid for a very long time. And it, it became like a relationship, just like what we were talking about at the garden. I had to think about what was that doing and not doing for me. And it wasn't easy. You know, there's still moments on a Sunday where I, I'm like, oh, I want to get a glass of wine because out of habit or comfort or whatever. But one of the other reasons why is I'm very into understanding biology and biohacking myself. So when I don't feel well, I reverse engineer and think about why might I feel this way? The physical symptoms, and I learned this a lot through Vipassana, is actually an expression of what's going on with our mind and our spirit. Mm -hmm. And the physical pain is an expression and symptom of that. So instead of reaching for something else to feel better, I dig in deep first. And I, when I looked at my blueprint, the one thing that kept coming up that, again, I felt like was canceling all that self-love and time and money that I was putting into myself, like, you know, vitamins and supplements aren't cheap and like yoga classes in Vancouver and all of that. I realized, yeah, it was like this constant thing with liquor and sleep is so important. There's a book I'm reading right now called Why We Sleep. And uh, I believe the author's name is Matt Walker fascinating. And if I can prevent myself from having early stage dementia or Alzheimer's or anything that is brain related that will cause an early end to my life, why wouldn't I do that? And alcohol is, and mixed with lack of sleep is the leading cause of death in us because it creates disease. And mm -hmm. so I look at that and that's what I mean by biohacking. And I think, mm -hmm. okay, well, what am I inputting in my bar garden? What am I inputting in my body to make sure that I can live each day. And I want my business and my life and my friends and everyone to be successful. So those are the adjustments that I've had to make. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I'd love to read that book. So I'll put that in the show notes, everyone. Yes, um, what would Emily now say to little Emily? That everything is going to be okay. Like really actually going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So many nights of my life up until maybe, you know, I mean, I still stay up late. <laughs> the anxiety <laughs> is still there. But I would say it wasn't until maybe the second part of last year during COVID that I realized it's just going to be okay. 
Mm. You know, this is, of course, with an exception to work stress that keeps me up at night and things like that. But on a macro level of life, yeah, yeah. it's all going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Just we can get out of bed. I told myself if I can get out of bed today on days that are just so hard and when this social mental depression takes over my body and my mind, I just tell myself I get to this point where I just get out of bed. And like, you know, it's easier for me than some people, but that's, that's what it is. And it, and then things will be okay. Mm-hmm. And that's what I would tell my little self. Right. Just take, take a step mm-hmm. forward. I spent mm-hmm. so much time worrying. Right. But nothing really bad happened. And if it didn't, it got dealt with. Right. Right. Mm. Um, thank you so much for your time and really for opening up your heart. Thank yeah, you. You're very, very raw. Um, my final question is, with what you do, what is it that you want to leave behind in the world? I want to leave behind something that can be reusable. I know that sounds very vague, but if I can impact someone and that gets paid forward through any of their relationships or in their experience, whether it was a nice gesture to a stranger or, you know, eventually Vibe Ohio as a company of employees, like, and that makes an impact in their life. That's it. That's, and, and it's through kindness and compassion. Mm. If I can do that and, and have those lessons be shared, I think I would have done an okay job on this mm. earth. I love that. Paying the good energy forward. I, that's my hope and yeah. wish, yeah. Well, I think you do it already. Thank you. Thank you. I've got good people like you in my life <laughs> inspiring me. And congratulations on your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. It's been it's been such a fun journey and I can't wait to to continue it with more inspiring people like you. Well, thank you for allowing me to be a part of this journey with you on and off the mic. <laughs> of course. Anytime. Thank Thanks, you, Sam. May. Thank you. If you enjoyed that last conversation, be sure to check out more episodes of The Craft on Spotify and guest photo galleries on the website at wearethecraft.com. Thanks again for listening.